Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of It Starts With Attraction. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing ItStartsWithAttraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to ItStartsWithAttraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. We are back with part two of Desperate Forgiveness with Al and Lisa Robertson. How to forgive even when you don't want to, you don't feel like it, and you have no idea how to. That is what we are covering in part one and in part two of this podcast. If you missed part one, be sure to go back and listen to it because we are only building upon what we talked about in last week's episode even more. So be sure to go and listen to that and then come back and listen to this one as we go even deeper into forgiveness, how to forgive, why to forgive, the freedom on the other side of it, and the best thing that you can start doing now to move forward in forgiveness. Hey, my name is Kimberly Beam Holmes, and this is It Starts With Attraction, where we discuss how to become the most attractive that you can be physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as us insiders call it, the pies. You can become more attractive to others and most importantly, to yourself. We will teach you how. Let's dive in. Well, Al, one of the other stories that that really caught my attention in this book was what what you saw happen to your parents as you were growing up. Did you have, and, and you can summarize what that is, but my question is, did you have difficulty forgiving your dad for the things that had happened in your childhood? Yeah, no doubt. And again, it was one of those things where Lisa was describing, I didn't even know that I was Mm. as upset and angry with him as I was because, Mm. you know, I still looked up to him. I still thought he was amazing and still his life changed when it changed was so incredible, but I still held a lot of that stuff uh, in. And, and I think it's what led me to sort of my prodigal, wandering uh, with some pinup stuff against him. And mom and I have always been close and still are. Um, but it kind of took me getting to that place where then I didn't trust myself or him or anybody. And then when I came back, you know, he was right there to greet me. And so it, it was amazing. You know, we, I think I was able to, in that moment, move past a lot of stuff without really even saying that or talking about it. But I think that's exactly when it happened for me. Um, was when that happened. And, you know, it was, it was interesting because um, we were talking about it, I think, before we started recording. But, um, you know, we just, just found out that, that I have a new sister mm-hmm. that was from that era. You know, she's 44 years old. And the year she was born in 1975 was the same year that he turned his life around. And uh, which the way she puts it now, she says it's very comforting to know that the um, the – that the year I was born uh, was the year that he was reborn, you know, which is really interesting. Hmm. And so, you know, I I think what's interesting about that though, is that I watched my mom, um, you know, cause I, I'm the one that, that told him about Phyllis. And so, you know, I mean, to go in there that night, I mean, at least I went in and this is the conversation 45 years removed 
that we have to have. And so I wind up hearing things in that conversation that I've never heard in my life mm-hmm. because we're trying to figure out, is this true or not? And so, and Phyllis had sent some things that her mom had said about that period of time. Well, dad was out of his mind during that period of time. So he doesn't remember any details. What was interesting was, is that mom wasn't though. She wasn't drinking and drugging during that era. And so she remembered everything. And so it was a, it was a, a, I don't know how to describe it. It was a surreal experience for Lisa and I, because this is your parents. And yet we're having to go back, you know, into that era of life that dad has been open for 44 years that he was a terrible person, but you know, we don't know any details from it. And now we got a detail, but you know, what really amazed me that I, that I wanted to say to your audience today is that when, when someone has said they forgive somebody and the, the, when it's put to the test, even 44 years later, You'll know it in that moment. And so what was interesting was, even though mom was giving the details about what, because we're, again, we're just trying to say, are we going to do the DNA test? What are we going to do? Mom was thrilled about having dad having a daughter and couldn't wait to meet her, even though we didn't even know yet. I mean, that was her, that was her reaction. And so I walked away and she didn't say, you know, Phil, I can't believe you did, you know, you were such a bad person. Now look, you've upset our lives, which again, any wife that would feel that way, I'm not saying her husband, you know, you, you find out terrible information. I'm not saying it wouldn't be upsetting, but I just marveled that my mom exhibited in the the hot white moment of this truth or potential truth at that time that she still displayed that. Well, I forgave him 40, 44 years ago. And and she meant it because now, even though we never knew we had a sister, she couldn't wait to meet her. And, and she was even a little bit upset with that because she said, you know, I've always wanted a girl. <laughs> And, <laughs> and so that's like, well, Miss Guy, I didn't know, you know, but I was just, I mean, it was just such a moment. I, I, I thought about it since. And even the moment when Phyllis came down for the first time and met dad and we'd, we'd already been prepping her, you know, dad's not very touchy and feely and emotional. And mm-hmm. so he just comes over and grabs her hands and hugs her and holds his, her hand in his, mm-hmm. I mean, her face in his hand. And it was just so tender, you know, and he wanted to talk to her alone. And I, and he, I know why he wanted to say, I'm sorry that I'm sorry I wasn't there for your life, you know, and I don't know what all they talked about. I mean, I didn't ask, but it was a very uh, cathartic, cleansing, Mm -hmm. amazing moment for our whole family. And now she's, you know, she's a part of us. It's amazing. We've been on vacations together. She's moving here in in a couple of weeks. And, and going to live here. She's like, I you know, didn't have a relationship with my dad and my brothers for 44 years, but I, I have one now. So mm-hmm. I say all that to say, to your point, that I think that's just been one more thing and a reminder for me also that I really forgave dad a long time ago and have been living and walking this with mm-hmm. him. In fact, we do so many projects together now, I think. And look, dad's quirky and you know, he's, you know, he's probably like your dad. You just, they say things sometimes you're like, man, could we just soften that a little, you know, it's just, <laughs> you know, so you're always trying to, cause you know, you're like, we got to live in this, you know, society, but at the same time, it's, uh, without that, if you're carrying that along, those hurts and wounds, because parents are imperfect, um, you know, it, it's going to, at some point it's going to cause problems for you. Mm-hmm. And one of the things y'all talk about, as well are these generational sins, right? But even the flip of of that, like things that happen even in, in your family, Al, 
your dad had affairs. You know, that's something that's permeated into different, different ways in y'all's family with Lisa and even how you cheated on her when you were dating, like you can see how that can continue to happen until like y'all yep. said, you address it, you stop it and you change, you forgive, you find a different way. But even as you were just saying, the opposite is true too, right? The generational blessings like Kay, her reaction to this, her reaction to taking your dad back. How much did that impact you to forgive Lisa, take her back? And then there's this new child, this new sister that comes in the picture. Everyone is already forgiven. You embrace her with open arms. And it's just the opposite of generational sin and these yeah. generational blessings from, and then y'all's grandchildren are seeing how your family is reacting to this. So then when they experience things like this in their life, how much more willing are they going to be to forgive to do things, you know, in a way that is loving and treating with kindness. And it just, it continues to multiply. It's a, it's a great point. And you're exactly right. You, you're actually flipping what, what the evil one loves to do. And that's generationally continue to curse uh, yep. families, countries, societies, cultures. I mean, he's just a master at it. And just staying in that cycle, staying in that cycle. Lisa and I are always so burdened, and 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 you know we try to do everything we can. You know, but her family, we see so many. There's generational curses, a lot of you know, for different you know wings of the family that just they just stay in that cycle, and they just cannot find their way out. Yeah. And you know, it, it hurts you when it's people you love and obviously care about it, and you and you you know the way out. You know the way to flip that and to make it different and to change how we react and how we respond. And you're exactly right. And look, you're going to have new um, threats that come in. Even one's going to try some different tactic from time to time. And when that happens, you still got to rely on what got us here. We had a neat moment um, this past year where uh, my 14 year old uh, granddaughter uh, wanted to get baptized. And so, you know, she'd been talking about it at camp and some different things. And so she's, you know, I would talk to her some and, you know, her dad and, and her other grandpa. And, but she wound up one day, dad was over and they got to talking about it. And, and so then she, she came to me and she said, do you think Papa Phil would baptize me? I said, well, sure he will. And so we had this, you know, we all gathered up all our family around our hot tub because it was back in the winter and dad baptized her. And, you know, I mean, we videoed it and, and I just, but in the moment of when it was happening, I was just in tears because I thought, isn't this what it should be that a great grandfather could have a connection with his great granddaughter and so much so at a spiritual level that she would request that he would be there for a moment like that. And it just, it reminded, it was just a flood of blessing to think that we we're represented by four generations standing around this hot tub of looking and seeing what happens when Christ really does change a person. And then that person then helps impact all the way four generations into the future. Mm-hmm. It really does. What about when people don't have a relationship with Jesus? How do you convey the importance of forgiveness without that? Well, I think there's still um, a need for that. I think we are seeing that right now in our country because, you know, people are pulling up things from people's past. And uh, we were just actually talking about this this morning. Um you know, they'll pull up things that they did as a teenager and use it against them now, you know, and, and they could be our age in their 50s. But why should we have to be defined by our past? 
Mm-hmm. But if you cannot forgive, um, if you cannot forgive, then that's exactly what you are. You are defined by your past or, or you define other people by their past. And so I, even if you don't have a relationship, you know, with Jesus, the importance of forgiveness is still there because it does something within you mm-hmm. and it, it, uh, it makes you um, not be angry or bitter and you're not a victim anymore. Because as we know, you know, just because we're believers doesn't mean, I mean, Lisa and I, I was working for the church and preaching and, you know, teaching yeah. and doing ministry when we fell apart. So even just knowing who Jesus is and understanding it doesn't always impact you until you're ready to be impacted. And so what I would say is I think it's easier if, if we can see it like we do in the Bible and, you know, obviously from a spiritual lens, but at the same time, People still have a spiritual quality about them, whether they're believers in Christ or not, and still need this. So all the principles still apply to help people. And, uh, you know, Lisa and I speak in a lot of, you know, public gatherings and settings and capitals and around the country. And a lot of times they're not, you know, religious settings or even, you know, spiritual settings. And yet we still tell our story and mm-hmm. it still impacts people. And people still walk away from there saying, you know what, I, I think we can do that. And so we, 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 want to get to people where they are. And, and one of the things you have to watch out for sometimes as, as believers and church members like we are, is that a lot of times, you know, they won't come to where you're meeting because they don't feel worthy. And so they're out there living that life, you know, wishing they could be better. And so that's why we have to do what you're doing. You have to do podcasts. You have to do ways to get out there to where folks are. And uh, our podcast, which is called Unashamed, is doing just that. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, the impact, right? And we're just, it's just a big Bible study, Robertson style, but we're able to to do that basically on a secular political platform. Mm-hmm. And yet we're able to get the gospel out, which is, and, and help people and, and offer them hope. So um, I think that's the way we have to view it, even as believers. And obviously we want to lead people to that relationship because if you understood Jesus better, then it would really help you, you know? And so a lot of the stories in the book, as you know, the biblical stories, are from his interactions with, with people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when he's with that woman and, 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 uh, and Luke seven, or he's with that, she, he's with that woman in John eight and these people that are just in this broken, desperate place. Here's, here's the son of God who has no sin. And yet he's the most empathetic person that's ever lived for sinners. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that the, when I sign our book, desperate forgiveness, I try to come up with a verse, mm-hmm. um, to sign every book uniquely, you know, because I've always felt like there was something that motivated me biblically to write a book. And mm-hmm. so for that one, I picked out Luke seven forty seven, And in that verse, Jesus tells Simon in that story, Simon's in their judgment on who, who is this person and why is she even in here? And this guy can't be religious or, you know, he can't be spiritual because he wouldn't be living this woman in his midst, you know, just basically just being a judgmental Pharisee, you know, hypocrite jerk jerk. Yeah. And, uh, and then this woman is there, and he looks at Simon, and he says, to the person who has been forgiven much, mm-hmm. they will love much, which this woman is just pouring it out on Jesus. But to the person who has been forgiven little, and he didn't say it, but he's like, that's you, bud, they will love little. And it was evidence because this man had no empathy for this woman or situation or anything else, and yet Jesus did. And so I, I, to me, that really sums up what we're trying to say in the book. Um, one of the funny things that happened though, you know, sometimes you, I was, when we first started signing the first couple of gatherings we had and we were selling the book, 
I accidentally wrote John 747. I got my books mixed up because of the woman in John 8. And so I didn't realize that after I had a bunch of books out there that time, the wrong verse. Of course, I guess no, nobody contacted me, so I don't know if they looked it up or what, but I, then it hit me one day. I was like, oh, no, what does that verse say? So I turned over there and looked, and it says, has he deceived you as well? Reported the Pharisee. <laughs> and so I thought, man, those 200 people, if somebody did look that verse up, they're going to be like, what in the world does this have to do with forgiveness? <laughs> Has he deceived you as well? Retorted. The, I never even knew the word retorted was in the Bible. Right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love that. Well, you know, at the end of the book, y'all talk about these 13 disciplines of forgiveness. And I was even rereading them right before we all started back together. When you all think of together or when you all think of forgiveness, what do you think is the most important thing? for people to know and do? Uh, I think the most important thing is to start now, start mm-hmm. today. Um, and I say that because, um, you know, we can put it off till tomorrow. We might not feel like it tomorrow. And then we're going to say we're going to put it off till the next day. Well, I really don't feel like it, you know. Um, so I, I say just start today, you know, and start small. Start with um, you know, start with yourself. Yourself, it's one of the hardest things to do is to forgive yourself for some of the stupid things that you've done in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and it, that's not a small feat to say forgive yourself, but you've got to start somewhere and um, you start with small things, work up to the big things, or tackle that one big thing. Um, you know, that continues to plague you, mm-hmm. continues to bring you back um, under the control of the person who hurt you, which is what's happening. Um, and so I just say start now. Uh, today is a great day uh, to start forgiveness for the rest of your life. But it's an everyday thing. You decide every day if you're going to forgive or not. So, um, but today is a great day to start. And I think for me, for me, it's a concept that I first got actually from your dad's book, uh, which originally was called Forgiven Forever. Mm-hmm. And now it's called Getting Past Guilt. But it was a, it was a huge blessing in mine and Lisa's early walk. And that's why we recommended, I have a, a I, I keep a box full, you know, that I, that I give away to people. And, you know, in, in one of those chapters, he, he told a tremendous story that I've, I've used so many different times. And I've told him this before about a guy that just couldn't get past something. He tells this wonderful story that spans over 15 years or whatever. And this, you know, he just couldn't get past this seemingly simple, you know, just get over it uh, type thing. And at the end of the story, he says, and kind of the aha moment, and that your dad was working with this guy who just couldn't forgive himself, you know, for this thing that, seemed to your dad as a minor thing, but to this guy, it was a huge thing. He just couldn't get past it. And he said, what would you say if your son reacted and he had told this great story? And he said, I would say he didn't believe his daddy. Mm. And, and, and then Joe said, well, I think that's, you've got to believe that, that your God is big enough. And so I, I really, that's always stuck with me because for forgiveness, you know, he keeps saying, if you think you're forgiven, you can forgive others. That's how it works. And so, I think that's a first big step for people is to be able, like Lisa said, to say, okay, you know what, God, I believe you're big enough 
to forgive me for things I've done wrong. So that helps me be able to then forgive other people. And so, uh, and, and another thing is I always tell people the words are important. You know, I mean, uh, anything, when you get married, you say the words, you know, when you, when you become a Christian, you say the words, you know, Jesus is Lord. I think it's important to say the words, you know, people, a lot of times just say, well, you know, we got, you know, we're past that, you know, but, but nobody ever said, will you forgive me? And the other person says, yes, I do. Um, I think the words are important because they're a reminder. And so Lisa and I, through the years, obviously started with one big, huge event. But one thing we've kept consistent for 21 years is that we say the words. You know, you, you're cross, you you snap and say something you wish you hadn't said, and you said, I'm so sorry, I wish I hadn't said that. It's okay. I understand. We were having a tough moment there, but I forgive you. And so we, we try to, after all these years, to say the words out loud. And that's what stores up in your heart. That's the things you want to remember when you think about my spouse. They love me. They're willing to say I was wrong, and they're willing to say I forgive you. Mm-hmm. One of the other things that this book, and even Lisa, something you said at the beginning of this was saying it really, you know, putting yourself to where you can see the perspective or the past of another person. And it's not just our spouse, right? That we need to watch our words towards or make sure. But, um, you know, when you were talking about how your youngest brother was born after, after all the stuff that happened with your parents and there was a time where you really had to come face to face with um, how you couldn't believe he was taking advantage of the fact that he got two parents that were together and happy and didn't have to live through all the, the that poverty and just all the things. As I was reading that, I immediately began thinking about my family and my sister. Because as you, both of you know, I have two older sisters that experienced my parents' divorce and my oldest sister is mentally handicapped. So she doesn't remember it the same way, but my middle sister, Joanna, she remembers all of it. And to the extent where even for a couple of years growing up, you know, when I was a teenager and I would try to talk to her about it, she had just totally pushed it down and said, I don't really remember it. You know, I don't really know. But then if she would ever hear my parents talking about it or people come to her and ask her about it, she would just, she couldn't, she would just cry. She couldn't deal with it. And, and so for my sister and I, of course, there was a large age gap, 12 years, but there's also always been something else there. And it's another one of those things that's kind of come up more over this past year where I've, I've had to see through a different perspective of she sees my life a little bit differently and I see her life a little bit differently. And I haven't always taken into account the hurt that she's had to go through, the betrayal she's had to go through. And I've always felt like my parents <laughs> treated her too nicely, whereas they would typically, you know, make me do the harder stuff or, you know, they would hold me to all A's or all of those things. But Joanna, I felt like she got off the hook with a lot of that. But I didn't realize everything that went into that. And so I had been probably too hard on my sister and on my parents at how they had treated my sister, how she got away with so much. And I felt like I had to be this golden child until I really just started putting the perspective into those shoes, into my dad's shoes of, gosh, like imagine how he felt of what he did. And then, and then with me, there was this chance kind of, so to say, of, of being able to be the dad and being totally there that he didn't have with my sister. 
And then for my sister, you know, just understanding what she had gone through. And so even though a beautiful testimony has come through my parents' story, it's still hard. And that mm-hmm. there's still things that we as a family struggle with and we have to forgive and we have to move past. But when you see it from the other's perspective, how much easier it is to forgive whatever happens, bring it to light, talk about it, don't keep putting things under the rug. And I love the way that your family has done it. I love the way my family has done it, even in the hard times, even in the difficult times. But I so believe that it's when we're able to talk about it with each other, but even talk about it with like you, like you do to, to others, the testimony that's come from it, what you've come through, what God can do. That's where huge change happens. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, and the empathy is the word that always comes to my heart and mind when I think about that. And you're right. I talk about in the book, you know, I kind of lost sight of that. I think some in, in, in Jeff's life. And then I realized, you know, that he was, you know, we were just two kids that struggled, you know, we had four of us and everybody has sins and struggles, but Jeff and I kind of went off the reservation, but just because he was raised in a better situation, didn't mean that he had to find that, you know? And, Mm-hmm. So he and dad, is, we're very different because like dad and I don't touch or hug or, you know, I mean, I, I could be shaking hands in line. Dad there, he'd just shake my hand or typically wouldn't do anything. And yet, you know, Jeff comes in and just hugs him. And when he was up until he was a teenager, he'd sat on his lap and it was just a different, you know, it was, a, and it was foreign to me because I just never saw that that way, but Jeff did. And so it's been interesting. And then even Phyllis coming in now, and she's kind of not a, touchy-feely person either. She's a lot like dad like that, which is kind of funny, but she loves to be with him. You know, she just, they'd sit and talk. And so when I, you know, I pull up and they're just sitting down on the front porch when they'd come down to visit, it just, I don't know. It just able to see that you're right. Having that idea that people, you know, have different experiences. And we saw that with our kids. I mean, you know, our oldest has always been kind of insecure about her mom because her greatest fear is that, you know, she thought it was over during that period. She was about, I don't think 12 or 13 years old when all that happened. And so even to this day, she's an adult. She's been married 16 years. She's got three kids, but she's always, you know, she's, you can tell she's like, I always want to be aware of where Lisa is because she carries that insecurity. And we've never really talked about it. You know, she's never said anything about it, but, and you know, we may be wrong, but, it, but Lisa and I both think, that's because it goes back to that time of, of difficulty for our marriage. And I think she carries that with her. My youngest daughter was is more butt heads with Lisa. She, but she was a lot more angry about things because she felt like I, nobody was sticking up for me. You know, like people mm-hmm. trying to help her mom, but what about dad? You know, and so, you know, it's just interesting watching them now as adults, as wives, as mothers, but still carry, like you said, some of those things from family hurts um, and mistakes that you just again. That's the only thing you can do. Now, I'm sure, I, I know that both the girls have forgiven their mom for all that years ago, but it doesn't mean that sometimes you don't carry some consequences of how you react and, you know, your behavior. Absolutely. Well, I love this book, clearly, <laughs> all day. I'm just, I can't wait now that I, to ask them so many things. And I really, I know you hear it from so many people, but I really thank you for putting your story on the line and being so open with all of it. And it's what, what I believe we need to do as Christians, right? Instead of hiding behind this perfect picture, like this is the reality 
of what life is like. And here's how Jesus redeems all of it. And you do it so beautifully in your story. And you talk about it so well in this book. Well, we appreciate it. And you know what? That's the reason why we wrote it. And so it would impact people and and help them. And so it's a a book. I always say that if somebody buys it, that's great. But I hope they will give it to somebody else. And so Mm -hmm. even if we only sell through one time and then everybody passes around to other people, that's that's the goal for us. Mm -hmm. I love that couple so much. The things that they are doing in speaking truth and love and doing it in a loving way is incredibly inspiring to me. Here are my key pies takeaways for this part two episode of Desperate Forgiveness with Alan Lisa. The first is this, you can choose to stop the cycle. We talked about in the second part, how generational sin, so to say, or this, this cycle of different things that happen in families, this cycle of affairs, cycles of addiction, cycles of anxiety, cycles of unforgiveness are things that we can continue when we learn them from our parents, our aunts, our uncles, until we choose to stop the cycle. I know it's hard when you are raised in a family to react to something a certain way, but you do have the choice to change the way you react. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that it's even simple, but I am saying that it is available to you and you have the strength and the power to be able to do it as well. I 100% believe that. I know even at looking at my own parents' marriage that they stopped the cycle of divorce in our family. When my mom took my dad back after being away for three years, after having affairs, after doing all of the things that he did, she changed the future of our family legacy. And what I learned from my mother about forgiveness, what I learned from my mother about radical transparency, what I learned from my mother about how to be a woman and a person who unconditionally loves other people is something that will change my children's future as well because she chose to break a cycle. Just like there is the choice to stop the cycle, the second key pies takeaway is we also have the choice to leave a legacy. We can choose to react to things differently so that it will change our life for the better, that it will change our children's lives for the better, that it will have a ripple effect into not only our own family and our community, but even to people we may never even end up knowing. The other person who broke chains of addiction in my family is my father. He came from a family where his dad drank and was hungover and would be abusive towards his mother. He watched all of those things happen. And when he got into difficult parts of his life, he also turned to alcohol. He turned to drugs. He turned to all of those things, but that does not define who he is. And it does not define who he became because he stopped the cycle. But even more than that, he changed the future by changing his own actions. And he changed the legacy that he would end up leaving. When I think of my dad now, 
I never knew him as the man who did all of those things and struggled with all of those addictions. I know him as the man who is radically transparent about everything he did, who is a living testimony that there is hope for no matter what situation someone might run into because he lives it. He grants grace and forgiveness to those in his life more than anyone I probably ever know because he knows that he has received much grace and forgiveness. And when I have those two amazing people in my life to look up to, it changes the way that I'm going to live my life. They changed their legacy in the choices that they made, which is changing my legacy into the choices I make because When my husband, as I mentioned at the end of last week's episode, when he did lie to me all those years about hiding an addiction, the thought never crossed my mind to divorce. That wasn't an option. The option was to work through it. The option was to forgive anything that he ever did because I knew the amazing change that lied on the other side of forgiveness. Now, I'm not saying there's not time for boundaries and there's not time to put up safeguards around you that protect you. I fully believe that, but none of those things hinder or stop the ability and the need for forgiveness. And there's tons of things that we all need to forgive in our lives. Things that go back to our childhood, things that go back to early romantic relationships that we have, friendships that we used to have, ways that we've been betrayed, things we've done to others. The list can go on and on and on. But what do I but what I want to encourage you with is to not let those things weigh you down. But instead, if you're going to see them as rocks, that if they were on your shoulders would make you heavy, see them as rocks that you can put under you and climb on top of so that you can become higher, stronger, taller, and be able to see more people that you would be able to help. Which brings me to the third point, which is don't be silent. When you have overcome unforgiveness, when you have come through the things that you have gone through, Share it with other people. Not saying you have to do a social media blast, but when those people in your life come to you struggling, hurting, don't hide behind a wall of perfection. Be open. Be raw. Let your story give hope and healing to the people in your life who need it most. I am thankful that my parents did that I am thankful that my husband and I have been able to get past so many things, that we're able to sit with others who are struggling with their marriage, that we're able to sit with others struggling with their faith, that I've been able to sit with other people who struggle with anxiety, whatever it might be, because we have experienced the freedom of what it means to forgive. That is what I want for you as well. Hey, before you go, don't forget to leave a review of this podcast. I would love to hear from you and your review lets us help other people as well. It helps get the word out even more. And also don't forget to come and follow me on Instagram at Kimberly Beam Holmes. And for more episodes of the podcast, it starts with attraction to know more about what you can do to become the best you can be with your pies. Be sure to go to piesuniversity.com. 
join our mailing list. You can get emails every Friday of five things that you can do to become a better and more attractive person. We send that out every Friday. So piesuniversity.com and come and see me on Instagram. I'll see you next week. Friends, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Remember to go and subscribe to this podcast and leave an honest review. I love to hear from you guys. So be sure to go and do that. And it will also help more people find the podcast as well. You can always find out more information by going to itstartswithattraction.com for show notes, for updates, and to join the email list so that every Friday you can get an encouraging email that specifically tells you what you can do to work on your pies so that you can become the best that you can be physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. Until next week, keep working on your pies and stay strong.